right, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much. Today is Wednesday, October 10th. And uh, man, it's been a long day. It's been a good day. I'm in a great mood, actually. I'm doing fantastic. I am well behind schedule. I didn't even shave before the show. Um, but I, I do feel good about it. This is going to be a great episode. I'm really excited. 8.46 at night, which means I'm probably likely to get in trouble um, with my RAs, whatever. They'll leave and then I'll keep recording. Um, I want to start with this. I, I want to first make a statement that you will not have any context for, but I think it's a great intrigue, uh, intriguing thing to say before this topic begins. Do you know how the American Supreme Court defines pornography? I didn't. I, I, I researched it, found something out. It's very interesting to me. And uh, I'm just going to let that hang. I said, ooh, I said pornography. That's not allowed on a sports show. Um, but I think definitions really do matter. And I'm going to come back to that later. But first, I want to start with Drew Brees. So on Monday Night Football, Drew Brees became the NFL's all-time leading passer. And Drew Brees accomplishing this created a new issue for me. It forced me to notice a contradiction in my beliefs. I've always said Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. He has five rings, five Super Bowl championships. So I've always, in football, I've said Tom Brady, greatest of all time. In basketball, I've taken a different approach. I've said that LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. And I've said it's because of his stats. I've made the argument that LeBron James has better stats than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is commonly who is referred to as the greatest of all time in basketball. I said, no, LeBron James is going to finish with much better stats. You know, right now, Jordan is the fourth highest scorer of all time in the NBA. He has 32,000 points, a little bit more. LeBron James is only the seventh highest scorer in the NBA. He's 31,000 points, but he's going to finish with much more. He's more likely to get to maybe 38,000, which is the all-time record. And, uh, you know, LeBron has been to the finals eight times. He's one in three of them. But the contradiction is this, that in football, I really value Tom Brady's five championships. But in basketball... I don't value LeBron James' six championships. In fact, I really value LeBron James' stats. Sorry, Michael Jordan's six championships. I value LeBron James' stats, though. I value stats in basketball, but in the NFL, for some reason, I value rings. I mean, arguments are contradictory. They don't make any sense to me. Drew Brees caused this dilemma. He, at least he made me notice the dilemma. Again, Tom Brady has three MVPs, five Super Bowls. But Drew Brees, Drew Brees has the most yards in NFL history. He has the most completions in NFL history. And of the nine times an NFL quarterback has thrown for more than 5,000 yards, Drew Brees has had five of those nine seasons. He's got the most completions in a season. He's got the top three, and he's got six of the top ten. Drew Brees owns the NFL record books. Far more than Tom Brady does. Oh, and Drew Brees has a Super Bowl. Drew Brees has everything, and it's made me realize, what do I value more, statistics or championships? When I make a greatest of all time debate, when I have that comparison, when I make that argument, what matters more to me? Because there's a gap in logic. Again, for some reason, in the NFL, I value rings, and in the NBA, for some reason, I value statistics. That doesn't make any sense, and it has made me realize, okay, how do I define the greatest of all time? What makes someone the GOAT? Because it can't be stats, and it can't be rings alone. What is it? What does it for me? I've had to change the way I define GOAT. And actually, what I did was I, I called my dad. I was like, Dad, I, I need help. I, I have a contradiction. And my dad made a recommendation. He said, well, look at the Supreme Court. He said, Zach, do you know how the Supreme Court defines pornography? I, I did not. I looked it up. I found out that in 1964, there was a court case some word against Ohio, I think is what it was. But the point was this. The Supreme Court was trying to decide between what makes a movie art and what makes a movie an adult film. Porn versus art. And, and the example I would make is Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is my favorite television show ever. I love Game of Thrones. Yes, I'm one of those get losers. <laughs> um, and Game of Thrones is incredibly graphic, but it's not pornography. It, it is, I admit it. There are things I would not let a six-year-old watch Maybe even 12-year-olds. I don't know. Um, but it's a television show. It's not an adult film. 
and you know the difference. The way that the Supreme Court decides what pornography is, is this is the rule. They say, you know it when you see it. When you see it, you know what it is. When you see porn, you know you're watching porn. And Drew Brees is like Game of Thrones. He might have some qualities that make you go, hmm, is it? Is he the greatest of all time? But the truth is, you know when you see it, and when you see Drew Brees, you go, ah, nah, no. Because we've seen Tom Brady play. You know it when you see it. And I've watched Tom Brady dominate this league for 18 years. Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. Does Tom Brady have every record in the book? No. And does he have five championships? Yes. But let's not worry about the stats. Let's not worry about the champ. I mean, we can collect them and put them all together. That's fine if you want. But just watch Tom Brady. He's the greatest of all time. You know it when you see it. He's done more with less. He's had this incredible run for 18 years. He delivers in big moments. He does have five championships. That does matter a little bit. But statistics, rings... It's all a conglomerate. The point is this. When you see it, you know what it is. Yes, Michael Jordan has more rings than LeBron James. But I watch LeBron James and go, oh, no. (laughs) That guy's the greatest basketball player of all time. I mean, if you put them on the same court together, your eyes would gravitate to LeBron. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's a better athlete. He can shoot threes better. He's better at sharing the ball. So how do I define what makes a player the greatest of all time? You know it when you see it. Go watch videos of Bo Jackson playing running back. Bo Jackson does not have a ton of all-time stats. He does not have a record amount of championships. But if you watch Bo Jackson run the football for the Raiders back in the day, his injury got his, his career got cut short by an injury. But just watch the man. And then tell me that he's not arguably the greatest running back of all time. He's special. He's different. Or Deion Sanders. I'll go farther. Jerry Rice, watch them play wide receiver. Watch them, Watch Deion Sanders play corner. The greatest of all time. You know it when you see it. It's not just stats. It's not just championships. It's all of it, and it all matters. But when you see it, you, when you see it, you know what it is. That is what makes someone the greatest player of all time. It's all subjective. There's no rubric. There's no outline. But for me, that's how I define the greatest of all time. If we see an NBA player who's better than LeBron James, bigger, stronger, more impressive, I'll know it when I see it, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think LeBron James is personally the greatest basketball player I've ever seen. And I'm not mad at anybody who disagrees with me. But Drew Brees is not the greatest quarterback of all time. He might have a lot of stats. He might have a ring. There's a good argument to be made. But watch Tom Brady play football. You know it when you see it. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. You know it. When you see it. All right. Uh, we have a great show today. I thought that was a good argument. You know, I was, that topic was not going to be a defining thing. I called my dad. I was like, dad, I need help because I have no idea. I was, I was like, you know, I found a contradiction in my logic and I don't know how to work with this. I was really lost and confused and my dad, you know, helped me out. It was awesome. I appreciate that. Um, later in the show, we're going to preview the Giants and the Eagles game, which is tomorrow on Thursday Night Football. We're going to talk about college quarterbacks. I'm going to do a thing where I'm going to share the college quarterbacks I feel good about, the guys I like, the college quarterbacks that I do not like as NFL prospects, and three college quarterbacks who I think are potentially NFL prospects, but we just don't know. It's too early for them. We're going to talk about Josh Rosen later in the show. We're going to talk about uh, a little bit of MLB playoffs for the first time finally all year. Baseball has started. If you ask me, I'm going to finally pay attention to baseball. We have a great show ahead. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. I, I noticed I do a thing. I just look all over the room. There's no one here with me. I get comments all the time. People are like, you know, who is in the room with you? I don't have a producer. I don't have anybody. I'm just me. And it's, it's weird for me to look deadpan into a camera for an hour and a half or however long the show goes. So I do tend to, I'll be talking and I look around the room. I, but there's nobody here. It's just me. That's what I do. Um, I did, there's, there was a monitor there and there. I turned them off today. So maybe I can focus more on the camera. I don't know. Um, I don't really care how the show looks. I dress presentably enough, um, but it's really about the things I say. I don't really care how the podcast looks. One more thing I want to say. A lot of you guys said you liked my haircut. I asked you guys last week to tell me, what do you think? And uh, I, I, 
You know, I wasn't begging for compliments. I legitimately didn't know if it was a if it was a suitable haircut or not. I didn't know. And I've never gone back before and said, hey, like, I, I want you to fix this. And I just wasn't sure. And you guys were very kind. Um, I, I'm glad you guys approve, but that I wasn't begging for compliments. I legitimately was like, yeah, I don't know if this is a good haircut. I was kind of insecure about it. I did get one really good comment. Uh, this guy said it looked like a ketchaton, which uh, made me laugh. I don't know how to pronounce that word, but I Googled it. And apparently it, that guy was saying it makes my new haircut makes it look like I have chubby cheeks, which, you know, my dad looks like a chipmunk. So maybe maybe I will, too, when I grow up. Um, I've been looking ahead at college quarterbacks quite often. I've been looking ahead at all these college quarterbacks. You know, Drew Locke, I think, is a great fit in New York. I think that Justin Herbert would be a really good fit in Denver. I think Will Greer should go to the Jaguars, and that's a great fit for him. He might be able to challenge Blake Bortles. And uh, Tua Tungvaloa, he's an Alabama quarterback. He will not be eligible for next year's NFL draft. He's a sophomore. But two years from now, in the 2020 NFL draft, he will be eligible um, to be drafted. And I think Tua would be a great fit for the Dallas Cowboys. And I sat around, because I've been thinking, I, I'm weird. I get in my head, I sit down and write about it, think about it a lot. I was like, well, how would that work? Because the Cowboys have Dak Prescott. And it seems like Dak Prescott's going to get a new contract this offseason. They're not going to get rid of him before next year. I mean, they're not going to go, they're not going to tank next year, have a horrible year to try to go get Tua. But then I thought about it more and I realized that Dak Prescott has no leverage in Dallas. You know, Dak got a new agent. It's believed by everybody that pays attention to the Dallas Cowboys that Dak Prescott is going to ask for a new contract this offseason. And like, he's been underpaid his entire career. I think you should give Dak Prescott a new contract. He's earned it. Whether you love him or hate him, the guy's been grossly underpaid to be a Dallas Cowboys quarterback. You should pay him a little bit more. Um, I would give him $16, $13 million, something like that. But Dak Prescott is going to have to take whatever offer the Dallas Cowboys give him. Whatever number the Cowboys decide, Dak Prescott's going to have to like that because he does not have a lot of options. Again, I imagine the Cowboys are going to tell Dak, we're going to give you $16 million. I think that's a very fair amount. We'll give you 16000 million, $16 million, $16 million a year. I think it's a very fair number. It's less than Tom Brady. It's not at the top of the list. It's not up there with Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins. And he's not an Aaron Rodgers. He's not a Kirk Cousins. He's not, he doesn't deserve to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. $16 million a year would pay Dak Prescott the same amount as Andy Dalton. That's very fair. And if Dak Prescott doesn't like that number, too bad. I mean, what's he going to do? Is he going to leave? I don't think another team's going to offer him as much money as the Dallas Cowboys. Let's say he goes, I'm going to hold out. Well, you can't have that. You can't have your quarterback holding out. He's not going to do that. And what's Dak Prescott going to do? He's going to say, well, I don't like what the Dallas Cowboys offered me. I'm going to, I'm going to leave. I'm going to ask for a trade. Who's going to trade for Dak? Who's going to want Dak Prescott? No one's going to sign him in free agency. Nobody wants Dak Prescott. You think the Jacksonville Jaguars are like, let's trade Blake Bortles for Dak Prescott. The Giants? I don't think they do. They'd rather have one of the rookie quarterbacks who has more potential. The Seahawks are not going to trade for Dak Prescott. No, nobody in the NFL is going to make a trade or, or make a move to, you know, we're going to outbid the Cowboys for Dak Prescott. No. I don't know. The demand for Dak Prescott's talents are supremely low. I would rather the Cowboys honestly have Justin Herbert, the number one quarterback in next year's NFL draft, than Dak Prescott. I don't know. I just want to point out that Dak Prescott has no leverage. If he thinks he does, he's wrong. And what I would do if I was the Cowboys, I would draft a guy like, I think if Ryan Finley falls in the NFL draft, if you can get him in the second round, I'd take Ryan Finley. Make, see what he does. See if he can challenge Dak Prescott. But all I'm saying again is this. If Dak Prescott doesn't like the amount of money the Dallas Cowboys offer him, too bad. <laughs> too bad. I mean, he's got no options. He's got no leverage. He's going to have to take whatever the Cowboys offer him. I think $16 million, $13 million a year, that's a reasonable amount. Maybe more than he's worth slightly, but, I mean, look, he's been underpaid for three years. Give him some money. But uh, he's not going to find a better offer with other teams. No other team is going to offer Dak Prescott more money than the Dallas Cowboys will. And so I, I, I hope he's aware of that going into this next offseason. <clears throat> Let's talk about college quarterbacks. So I've been making a list of my top five college quarterback prospects in the NFL. And I don't like that. 
I, I don't like what I've done. I look back at my old work and I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't like what I did. Because the word prospect insinuates that there's potential. And how do you rank potential? You don't. You know, Drew Locke has a great arm and, and this guy, but how do you, how do you project what's going to happen? I don't know. All I can do is evaluate what I've seen so far to this point. I can't project how a guy's going to turn out five years from now. I, I don't know. I can tell you what I think might happen, but I can't analyze the future. Not really. I, I can try. I can look at Baker Mayfield, for example. Maybe he's changed the narratives on big 12 quarterbacks. Or I can look at, well, Josh Allen had bad accuracy in college. was kind of a mess. And he got good coaching and fixed up some stuff. And Josh Allen looks better in the NFL than he did in college. We can learn from the past and use it to project the future. But the truth is, I don't like ranking prospects. I don't like ranking potential. That's weird to me. So we're six weeks into the college football season. And I want to make a new list. I'm going to tell you guys, quarterbacks, I like a lot as NFL prospects. There's, there's three piles. There's the good pile, the bad pile, and the pile that's too early to judge. So first, I want to tell you the quarterbacks I like as NFL prospects. Next, I want to tell you the quarterbacks I do not like as NFL prospects. And finally, I'm going to tell you the quarterbacks I think it's just too early to judge. So we'll start with quarterbacks I like. I really, really love Justin Herbert. I'm not ranking anybody. I'm telling you the guys I like, I feel good about. Justin Herbert, the quarterback at Oregon, in my opinion, is the number one quarterback in next year's NFL draft class. I love him. He's got great movement in the pocket, tons of arm strength, and I want to define arm strength for you. People get confused. Arm strength is not how far down the field you can throw. If you can throw the ball 80 yards, but you can't drive it, I don't care. Arm strength to me is, can you drive the ball into tight windows downfield? Can you throw the ball 40 yards on a line and do a small window the size of a car window. If you can do that, you have a ton of arm strength. Arm strength is not how far you can throw the ball. It's how hard can you drive the ball on a line. Your, your best fastball on a line, how, far, how quickly can you drive it? And for example, Joe Burrow doesn't have weak distance down the field, but Joe Burrow, LSU's quarterback, can't drive the ball downfield on a 40-yard out route. It's not possible. He doesn't have that arm strength. Justin Herbert does, and he also has great accuracy. Accuracy is location. Location is not throwing the ball to an area. It's a small window on a receiver. Can you, if a guy's open by a yard or two, can you thread the needle? Justin Herbert has all of that. He has arm strength. He has accuracy. He is fantastic. His anticipation is really, really good. He can anticipate and throw the ball before a guy breaks. So if I'm going to break over the middle, the minute I plant my foot, Justin Herbert already has the ball out. So that when I turn my head, the ball hits me in the chest. Justin Herbert is the best quarterback right now in college football, my opinion. It's close with Tua, but I think Justin Herbert is better. A lot of, a lot of Alabama fans get mad at me, and that's where I want to now shift our attention to is Tua Tungavaloa. I love, I love, I love Tua. He's a future number one pick. He's got great movement in the pocket. He's a lead at reading defenses. He's good at identifying matchups. And what he does most interestingly to me is scrambling. Very similar to the way Russell Wilson runs around behind the line of scrimmage. He runs, but he does not run to run. He runs to extend plays, keeping his eyes downfield, finding people open down the field. Nobody does that better in college football than either Tua or Gardner Minshew. We'll talk about Gardner Minshew in a minute. But Tua and Gardner both by time better than maybe anybody in college football, and it's really impressive. I don't know. I, I think Justin Herbert is, uh, excuse me, I think Justin Herbert's the best quarterback right now. But aside from him, Tua is incredibly special. He will be a number one overall pick somewhere down the road. He's the best quarterback Alabama's ever, ever had. I know who's gone to Alabama. I know. Tua is different. He's special. He's the best quarterback Alabama's ever had. And especially the best quarterback Nick Saban has ever had. Tua is a game changer. Let's talk about Will Greer. I want to compare Will Greer, the West Virginia quarterback, to Drew Locke, the Missouri quarterback. So Will Greer is incredibly polished. He's tremendous. He makes great decisions, and he does it consistently. The only thing lacking from Will Greer is his arm strength, his ability to drive the ball downfield. If it's really windy, there's a bunch of debris in the air. I am not supremely confident that Will Greer can drive the ball 40 yards on a line into a tight window. I don't know. 
I don't think he has that arm strength. Drew Locke does. Missouri's quarterback does. And so if I'm a guy scouting Will Greer, if I'm in New York or Cleveland or Pittsburgh, I am not confident that I want Will Greer on my team because I don't know that he has the arm strength to deal with the elements. But if I'm in Dallas inside, if I'm in Jacksonville, Florida, if I'm in Tampa Bay, if I'm playing in a dome, I love Will Greer because what Will Greer does is he's great at reading defenses, he understands matchups, and he makes great, fantastic decisions. But a team like New York probably shouldn't recruit or draft Will Greer because I don't know that he is a good fit for that weather. Drew Locke is the opposite of Will Greer. Drew Locke makes a lot of questionable decisions. He's not awful, but he has moments of inconsistency that I don't like. For example, he had a pick six on Saturday against South Carolina State where he's on the goal line. It's a screen pass. Receiver falls over. He's on his own goal line. He has defenders coming, and he looked like he just kind of panicked. He throws the ball up straight out of defender into his hands. The guy runs like seven yards for a pick six, got a touchdown. It was like, what are you doing? That's a terrible decision. Don't you know that's a horrible decision? Throw the ball in the dirt, move on. And too often we see Drew Locke make very questionable throws. For example, there was a third and seven in the red zone. Um, and, and this is a game against South Carolina State last week where Drew Locke's team kicked six field goals. They were five for six kicking field goals. They lost by two points. If one of those drives, the six times they kick field goals, if one of those drives they can score a touchdown, they win the game. And on third and seven in the red zone, Drew Locke had a crosser wide open in front of his face. And instead of throwing it, he threw a contested ball into the end zone that got tipped away. And I was confounded. I was confused. I was like, Drew Locke, what are you doing? And I, too often when I watch Drew Locke, I think, what are you doing? Why are you throwing there? I don't understand. And, and I must admit something, you know. Will Greer, the West Virginia quarterback, has better coaching. He has a better scheme, better offensive play calling, and he has better teammates, better people around Will Greer. But it still does not make up for the fact that Drew Locke makes bad decisions sometimes that I don't understand. Maybe he's trying to make up for things that his team isn't very good. I don't know. But what I do know is that Drew Locke is a great fit in New York. I, I would take Justin Herbert if I was a Giants. But if Drew Locke goes to New York, I won't fight it too hard. Even if he makes questionable decisions, if he throws the ball downfield... He's going to stretch the field with Odell Beckham Jr. He's going to use Saquon Barkley really well in the run game. I think Drew Locke could work in New York, especially with Pat Shermer, a good creative head coach. Um, but it is also worth noting, Will Greer, the West Virginia quarterback, is ahead of Drew Locke. It matters. Decision-making is incredibly important. Right now, Will Greer makes better decisions. I don't know that he has the arm strength of Drew Locke. In fact, I know he doesn't. He can't drive the ball downfield the same way that Drew Locke can. But Will Greer makes better decisions. He's a more polished quarterback this very moment than Drew Locke. But again, I like both. I want to now talk about Steven Montez, the quarterback at Colorado. He's a junior. He's 6'5". He's under the radar. Nobody, nobody's talking about him. I don't understand. Um, he's having his best season he's ever had. And maybe that's part of why people are not taking him seriously. They're judging him on his old seasons instead of watching what he's doing in 2018. He has a new quarterback coach, Kurt Roper, who's doing wonders with him. He's making better decisions. He's making more accurate throws. Steven Montez is great. And of course, you know, he's elevated by the fact that he has the best wide receiver in college football, LaVisca Chenault. But it's, it doesn't matter. He's making a ton of NFL throws. Steven Montez, Colorado's quarterback, is doing stuff an NFL quarterback would do much more than most quarterbacks. I like Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert is the best quarterback prospect in college football right now. And can't be avoided, though. He still runs a college offense. Steven Montez runs a more pro—he's in the shotgun often, but he runs a more pro-style offense, runs more pro-style concepts. And I think Steven Montez is a very highly underrated quarterback in college football. I don't know if it's because he plays in the Pac-12 or Colorado or because he wasn't very good last year. But put your eyes and your attention on Steven Montez. He is a wonderfully good quarterback recruit that I think could make waves in the future in the NFL draft. Now I want to talk about Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is another quarterback I really, really like in college football right now. Another guy that's underrated. Here's the number one problem with Gardner Minshew. This is why he's not being talked about. Arm strength. He does not have the same. In fact, of all the quarterbacks I like, and you know, I don't know. I'm going to talk about quarterbacks later that don't have enough arm strength. Joe Burrow does not have enough arm strength to win in the NFL. I think Gardner Minshew does, but it's right at that threshold. Gardner Minshew just barely has enough arm strength. And again, the, the arm strength 
definition is, can you drive the ball on a line downfield? There are times where Gardner Minshew, the ball flutters. It does get away from him a little bit. But decision-making, he's elite. Gardner Minshew might be reading defenses better than any other quarterback in college football. It's impressive. It's so good. In fact, what he's elite at is manipulating defenses with his shoulder, with his eyes, moving safeties, creating openings. A lot of people, you know, they... They get guys open. People say, that guy's a playmaker with his legs. Or that guy's a playmaker with his arm. This guy, you know, Josh Allen had a cannon. He would just throw the ball places other people couldn't throw the ball. That's making plays with your arm. Lamar Jackson in college football made plays with his legs. Because Gardner Minshew doesn't have an incredibly great athletic ability, and because he doesn't really have elite arm strength, he has to create plays other ways with good fundamentals and with his brain. And the way he makes defenses do what he wants them to do. He manipulates defenses with his eyes and with his shoulders and creates open receivers by doing that. That's a special, unique quality. He's also not a running quarterback, but his ability to move in the pocket and extend plays is, I think, just as good as Tua and I think maybe the best in college football. The way he slides left, slides right, steps up, moves around within the pocket, and then sometimes gets out of the pocket and extend plays. It's like he has eyes on the back of his head. Gardner Minshew, it cannot be understated. The movement in the pocket is the best in college football. Every single NFL quarterback should watch what he does. It's impressive. It's incredibly good fundamentals. And you can't find a lot of play like that in college football. I mean, he'll, st- he'll step right, find a window, step left, find a window. He's just a, he's a graduate transfer. And he clearly, that fifth year, it's paying off. He's a expert level quarterback doing incredible stuff. He does not have an elite arm talent, but his brain is worth it. I mean, he really is a special quarterback. If he's not an NFL quarterback, he's going to make a great coach and it cannot be understated. I think he's also scary good at blitz. When people blitz him, they don't win. He's not afraid of getting hit. He's not afraid of taking shots. If you blitz a guy, he'll find the window where that guy came from and throw touchdowns. It's happened repeatedly. It happened against USC. It cannot be understated. Gardner Minshew is one of the most under, in fact, I think he is singly handedly the most underrated quarterback in all of college football. Nobody's paying attention. He's up in the Pacific Northwest. Gardner Minshew, if he gets a shot, I would not be shocked if he made an NFL team. I I really do think he's better than people realize. His fundamentals, his ability to manipulate defenses, nobody else does what he does in college football. He's a perfect fit for Mike Leach. He's better than the former quarterback, Luke Falk, and nobody's talking about him. (laughs) Got kind of excited. There are two guys left I want to talk about. Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. He's only a sophomore, but he's incredibly interesting. Dwayne Haskins makes great decisions. His location down the field is my only concern. Against man coverage, I don't know that he can win. Because often what Dwayne Haskins does is, and he does it perfectly, he executes Urban Meyer's offense flawlessly. I think he's the best quarterback Urban Meyer's ever had. I do agree with that assessment. And Urban Meyer had Alex Smith. Dwayne Haskins throws to a spot. A tenured out goes there. A fade ball goes there. A hitch route goes there. And he throws to like a five-yard area rather than a tighter window. He, he, he thinks big instead of thinking small. And I don't know that Dwayne Haskins yet, yet, I think he will develop it, has the arm strength to win against man coverage. I just got to see more. Uh, there were a couple throws against Penn State that I was like, oh, that's impressive. And there were a couple throws I was like, ah, oh, you missed that one. And the level play isn't consistent enough, but he's only a sophomore. I'm assuming, when I say I like him, I'm assuming he's going to improve there. Um, but we've already seen some improvement so far this year. I think he's going to continue to get better. And he's a really fun quarterback to watch. I do believe Dwayne Haskins is an NFL quarterback. And finally, the last quarterback I want to talk about that I like as an NFL prospect is Ryan Finley, the quarterback at NC State. He's good at a lot of things. He's not really elite at anything. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. He's got a good arm. He's got he's good, solid reading defense. He's got good footwork. This and this, there's a lot of good stuff. There's not a lot of great stuff. He's kind of vanilla. Um, but he's like, you ever played Mario Kart? He's like the Mario character in Mario Kart. Mario's like a 7 out of 10 at everything. There's nothing he doesn't... He's not the fastest guy. He's not the best handling. He's not whatever the stats are in that game. But Mario's a 7 out of 10 at everything. That's how I feel about Ryan Finley. Um, And I think a team like the Jaguars or the Cowboys should make a move at Ryan Finley. I am not convinced that Ryan Finley's ready to start immediately. But I like him. He's got a lot of potential. He has kind of a blind spot for linebackers. He struggles at reading linebackers. He doesn't have a lot of interceptions this year, but he's got a couple dropped interceptions that do concern me. Um, But potential, he's highly accurate. I I like Ryan Finley a lot. I think he's worth giving a shot in the NFL. I don't think he's 
don't think a bust, but I'm not. I don't think he's a franchise quarterback yet. But a team like the Patriots should draft Ryan Finley, let him sit for a while, let him learn, because I do think he's a sponge. He's gonna learn. He's gonna get better, and he's a viable quarterback in the NFL. I do like him as a prospect. So those are the guys I like as NFL prospects in college football that play quarterback. These are the quarterbacks in college that I do not like as NFL prospects. Um, I want to start with Jarrett Stidham, the quarterback at Auburn. And I want to start with him because he's the one I'm most likely wrong about. I love Jarrett Stidham, the person. Right, I love his interviews. He seems like a great guy. He's got a rough story. He transferred from Baylor. I, I, I think he's fantastic as a person. He's great in interviews. Uh, and, and I don't think that he's a bust. I think he's a, a an NFL quarterback. I am just not convinced that Jarrett Stidham is a, a franchise quarterback. He's not. He doesn't have elite arm strength. Here's the way I see it. He doesn't have an, an elite level of accuracy. He doesn't have an elite level of arm strength. He's not elite at making decisions. And so, like, what does he do great? Nothing. He's kind of vanilla. And and Ryan Finley's kind of vanilla at NC State. I think Jarrett Stidham is a step below that. And it's not enough. I, I watch him in... in, in Auburn, and I go, mm, you're just you're just not where I wish you were. You're not what I want you to be. Um, so I think he's a backup in the NFL. I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I think he makes a team and he can play for 10 years. But I, I'm not convinced that Jarrett Stidham is a NFL franchise quarterback. I mean, no offense. Auburn fans are mad. I hope I'm wrong. He's a great guy. But I'm not convinced that Jarrett Stidham is a franchise quarterback in the NFL. I don't think he's a first-round pick. That's my opinion. I think he should sit for a while and learn. Next, I want to talk about Mackenzie Milton at the University of Central Florida. This is a quarterback I do not like in the NFL. I like him in college. He's a great college quarterback. But I'm highly confident Mackenzie Milton is not an NFL quarterback. He runs a college offense. He's only got a 59% completion percentage and an offense running bubble screens. It's like, how do you do that? Um, but he's got an average arm. He doesn't have great accuracy. But here's the kicker with Mackenzie Milton. He's a running quarterback. And he's not an elite-level runner either. He's not Michael Vick. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's an average, solid-running quarterback that works in college, but he's not good enough to run in the NFL. And that's his game. So he's not going to make it in the NFL. He's a tight end, maybe, something like that. But Mackenzie Milton is not a top-level NFL quarterback, my opinion. And I would compare him to Trace McSorley. Let's talk about Trace McSorley, the quarterback at Penn State. It's the same story where I, I think more than Mackenzie Milton, Trace McSorley, I respect tremendously he has maxed out his game he's getting the most he possibly can out of his style it's incredible I mean McKen excuse me Trace McSorley's playing at a really high level for a college quarterback but I think this is as good as it gets I really do because so much of Trace McSorley's game depends on being an athlete mobility getting out of the pocket running downfield and Trace McSorley's not a good enough level athlete to play the way he does in the NFL he doesn't have an elite level of arm strength. He can't drive the ball downfield. He doesn't have an elite ability to manipulate defenses like Gardner Minshew at Washington State. And he's not going to be able to run for 40-yard gains, 50-yard gains the way he does in college. So I, I don't see Trace McSorley transitioning well to the NFL. I don't think he's an NFL quarterback. Jake Browning, the quarterback at Washington, is another guy. <sighs> he's frustrating. I think he's a backup in the NFL, maybe similar to Jarrett Stidham. I like Jarrett Stidham better than Jake Browning. Jake Browning misses too many easy throws. Um, he's got average arm strength, and I think his receivers make him look really good. He also does not handle pressure well. Jake Browning too often runs backwards away from the line of scrimmage rather than stepping up, moving in the pocket. It's so frustrating to watch a quarterback like Gardner Minshew or even you know Dwayne Haskins or Justin Herbert, Will Greer, guys who have great movement in the pocket. Jake Browning doesn't have that. He panics. He, he runs away from pressure rather than sliding left, finding a window, sliding right, finding a window, stepping up. Um, and I don't know if that's fundamentals. I don't know if that's his coaching in the offseason. I don't know what it is. But Jake Browning is not good enough at handling pressure. He's not a top-level franchise quarterback, in my opinion. Kyler Murray, the Oklahoma quarterback, is a story of— um, I, I love this cat, man. He reminds me of Tim Tebow or Johnny Manziel. He's a great college quarterback. It does not translate to the NFL. He's, he's a small, quick athlete. Um, and it's, this is a guy who chose to play baseball. He's going to play baseball professionally. That's the right move. Kyler Murray's not an NFL quarterback. I love the guy. It helps me. You know, it takes the pressure off me from evaluating him because he's going to baseball. 
So when I say he's not an NFL, a lead NFL quarterback, no one in Oklahoma goes, I hate you, you're wrong, because you know, he's going to baseball. Um, but yeah, I don't think he would succeed in the NFL anyway, so it, it's it's good move. He's, he's doing the right thing by going to baseball. And the final quarterback I want to talk about, I'm not a fan of that. I don't... I like the person. I don't like him as an NFL quarterback prospect. Is Jake from the quarterback at Georgia? This here's here's how I would summate his level of play in one word. Eh, like yeah, you're fine. Um, I think eventually he's gonna get beat out by Justin Fields, the quarterback behind him at Georgia. Uh, he's a solid college quarterback. Like he's he's one of a classic guy who does well in college. Uh, he's only a sophomore, I guess. So maybe he improves, but the arm strength simply isn't there. The arm strength, the decision-making, it's not enough for me to be convinced that Jake Fromm is going to be an elite NFL quarterback. I like him. He's fine. But he's got really great players around him. He's, you know, he, he reminds me of a guy like, oh, what's the quarterback? A.J. McCarron. A.J. McCarron had a really great career at Alabama. But he's not really a top-level NFL quarterback. Jake Fromm is, that's a great comparison, I think, is Jake Fromm is exactly like A.J. McCarron. He's got a great team around him. They're going to dominate college football if he does stay the starter and Justin Fields doesn't beat him out. But Jake Fromm's not an NFL quarterback. He's not, not great at reading defenses, makes too many mistakes, uses the play action a lot, throws the ball deep. It does throw bubble screens like weirdly a lot at Georgia. But the great athletes make him look good. And I just don't think Jake Fromm is more A.J. McCarron than he is Justin Herbert or Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen. I don't, I don't see that from Jake Fromm. And uh, I'm happy to be wrong about that. Georgia fans are going to murder me, but I don't... Jake Fromm's not a solid franchise NFL quarterback. Not right now. So those are the guys I do not like. Now I want to talk about three guys. These are three college quarterbacks I really like. It's just too early to tell. I don't, I don't know. In my evaluation, my sample size is too small to know if they're going to be great NFL prospects or not. The three quarterbacks are Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. He is a freshman. Adrian Martinez, the Nebraska quarterback, also a true freshman. And then Cole McDonald, the quarterback at Hawaii, who is a sophomore. I have seen a lot of great stuff from all of these guys. They have elite-level arm strength. They I, I, Decision-making is basically what we need to see. When, when you watch Jake Frum throw the football, you know right away, oh, not an NFL quarterback. When you watch Adrian Martinez throw the football, you go, NFL arm strength. Or you watch Trevor Lawrence, you go, NFL arm strength. It's just different. You can tell when a guy throws a football. Oh. And some guys who don't throw the football really well, like Gardner Minshew, they must have another skill. They must be a lead at reading defenses. Jake Frum is a great example. I talked about it in the last segment. Jake Frum doesn't have elite arm strength, and he's not elite at reading defenses, at manipulating defenses, moving in the pocket. So if you're not going to have a great arm strength, if your arm is not there, you're done anyways. But a guy like... Gardner Minshew won me over because of his play, but he's got a harder road. When I watch Cole McDonald, Adrian Martinez, Trevor Lawrence, I go, arm strength is there. Flashes of really good stuff. I need to see more decision-making stuff, but I really like it. One thing you should note about Cole McDonald, the quarterback at Hawaii, he needs to kill it. He's a sophomore right now. He's got 14 touchdowns, two interceptions, but he's playing in an offense that throws the ball a ton, and he's not playing against, he's in the Mountain West Conference, which is not top-level college football athletes. He must put up big numbers. If we're going to, a couple years from now, talk about him as potentially a top NFL quarterback, his numbers need to be insane. He needs to really, really manipulate and dominate defenses. If he does that, I'm willing to talk about him as, if he does that and is, is of course, has the same level of arm strength and is moving great in the pocket, reading defenses really well. I mean, Derek Carr played at Fresno State, another Mountain West school. If he is comparable to Derek Carr... I'm willing to say he's a top NFL prospect. Otherwise, it's not going to work out. If, if Cole McDonald struggles and doesn't dominate the Mountain West, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't buy it. But decision-making is the most important. Arm strength is second. All three of these guys have elite-level arm strength. I like them as potential NFL draft prospects. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about the Thursday night football matchup between the Eagles and the Giants. We're going to do the Deadly Dozen, which is my 12 playoff teams. I pick them every week. Uh, we're going to talk about the Major League Baseball playoffs. Finally, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to tell you who I want. You guys probably know already, but we're closer. We're a little bit closer to getting what I want from baseball. Um, we're going to talk about Josh Rosen's leadership, and at the end of the show, we're going to talk about Joe Flacco's leadership, why it's lacking. It's not enough. If you don't know already, I don't know how you possibly know at this point of the show, 
You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow the show by telling your friends about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Thank you so very much for tuning in. My name is Zach Schaumler. You know this is Strong Opinion Sports. How could you possibly not know that? Um, I want to talk about Thursday night football. Tomorrow night on Thursday night football, the New York Giants are playing the Philadelphia Eagles. The Giants are hosting. The game takes place in New York. Um, This is a big game. I'm really, really excited to watch the Giants and the Eagles play. Um, My opinion is that the Giants must win this game. The Giants are 1-4. They cannot afford to start the season 1-5. If the Giants start the year 1-5, their season's done. It's over. And so that, that enough already is an interesting narrative for me. I'm, I'm sold. But then you think about the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are 6-2. and two. Carson Wentz has really been their wild card all year. Carson Wentz did not start the year. Um, he's coming off an ACL injury. Carson, Nick Foles started the first two weeks. Um, Carson Wentz, their quarterback, the Eagles quarterback, is not 100%. So I'm, I'm picking the Eagles to win. I think they have a better coach, better defense, better offensive line. Even though the Eagles running back, Jay Ajayi, is injured. He tore his ACL. He's out for the year. But I believe that this is the week that we're going to see a flash of Carson Wentz the way he looked last year. Against a bad defense, a couple weeks. And remember, Carson Wentz didn't play at all in the preseason. Didn't play the first two weeks. He's rusty, and he's taken time. He's needed time to work back into things. And I still don't expect that Carson Wentz will be 100% until November, maybe early, maybe late November. Um, but... Regardless, I think we're going to see a dramatic improvement this week from Carson Wentz. And and finally, I'm curious to see how the Giants fight. Because I don't think the Giants are very good. And I don't think they have... I I think the Eagles' defensive line could really annihilate Eli Manning tomorrow night. Eli Manning, I think, could win some games. But he's simply not good enough uh, to win with a bad offensive line. You need to give Eli maybe the best offensive line in the NFL. If you did, he could win games. He still has some winning games left in him. But he's like one of the least mobile quarterbacks in the entire NFL. He doesn't slide very much, doesn't move in the pocket. He's kind of a statue back there. And uh, it's really going to hurt the Eagle, the Giants tomorrow night against the Eagles. I'm picking the Eagles to win, but I'm curious to watch. I cannot wait. Uh, my buddy Jared's coming over. It's going to be a fun time. Picking the Eagles, I think Thursday Night Football is interesting. Even if it's a blowout, the ramifications are very interesting. Because do the Giants put up a fight? Do Does Carson Wentz play more interesting? There's, there's still... Even though it's probably it could likely turn into a blowout, I hope it doesn't. I, I, I think you know it's a, it's a divisional matchup. Usually those are closer games, but even even if it is a matchup, a, a blowout, there's a lot we can learn and take away from Thursday night football between the Eagles and the Giants. All right, let's do the deadly dozen. This is the deadly dozen. The deadly dozen is where I pick my six AFC teams. And six NFL teams, 12 total teams that are going to make the playoffs at the end of the year. I do this instead of a power ranking because it drove me nuts last year when everyone had, you know, the the Chargers are the third best team in the entire NFL. Look at power rankings. Uh, They didn't even make the playoffs. So power rankings kind of don't matter. I think Deadly Dozen has more ramifications, more impact. I want to start in the AFC. My number one team in the AFC is the Kansas City Chiefs. They're going to win their division. Um, They're 5-0 right now. They just beat the Jaguars defense. They have Patrick Mahomes. They do have the Patriots coming up. That's a great game in the future. Uh, but the Chiefs are one of the better teams in the NFL. They're easily going to make the playoffs. And I think Patrick Mahomes, their quarterback, is insanely good. The Patriots are also going to make the playoffs. I think they win the AFC East. Um, they're fine. They're improving. Their defense is getting better. The Patriots are still improving. They're going to be much better week 13 than they are right now. But they added Josh Gordon at wide receiver. Julian Edelman came back from a suspension. The Patriots are fine. Everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> Patriots are going to make the playoffs. They, they destroyed the Dolphins this year. They might lose to them later when they play them at, in Miami. It always happens every year. But the Patriots are fine. They're going to make the playoffs. The Jaguars are 3-2. and two, um, And in spite of the fact that I was very critical of Blake Bortles, in fact, I gave up on Blake Bortles, I'm still picking the Jacksonville Jaguars to make the playoffs and win their division. Um, I think the Jaguars have a better defense than the Tennessee Titans and a better defense than anyone maybe in the NFL. I mean, they're fantastic. And when you compare, like, like, the Titans, I think Deshaun Watson's struggling. He's, he's working back into things. Andrew Luck's not 100%. The 
The Titans are the second best team in that division. And between Marcus Mariota and Blake Bortles, even though I don't like Blake Bortles, I still think Blake Bortles is a better quarterback than Marcus Mariota. On, on Blake Bortles' best day, his best day is better than Marcus Mariota's best day. And so I, I picked in the Jaguars. They're not going to win the Super Bowl, but the Jaguars are a playoff team. They can win their division. Uh, the Browns, I'm going to pick to win the AFC North. Um, and, and wow, does that sound weird and insane to say? I never thought I would ever say that, especially not this year. Um, but you can actually make an argument that, and it, it's arguable, right? This is not a statement I'm making. I'm saying there's an argument, though. Maybe Baker Mayfield is the best quarterback in the AFC North. It, that argument is there. It's viable. I don't think so. But in a division with Joe Flacco, Andy Dalton, Big Ben, all of them are incredibly inconsistent. Maybe that Baker Mayfield is the best quarterback. I think the Browns do make the playoffs. Their defense is really good. They just beat the Ravens in overtime. Fantastic win. I think the Browns are going to make the playoffs. I really do. Um, the Chargers are my wild card team. One of my two wild card teams in the AFC. The Chargers, they're a quiet 3-2. and two. They have a solid quarterback. They're playing really good football. I think the Chargers are going to make the playoffs. And finally, the Ravens. I do not believe the Ravens are going to win the Super Bowl. They might win their division. Maybe it flip-flops. The Browns are the wild card team. The Ravens win the division. The Ravens will not win the Super Bowl, but they have a great coach. They have a good defense. I think Flacco get get hot late, late in the year. Um, I'm still. I think the Ravens are still a playoff team. I do not believe in the Steelers, and I do not believe in the Bengals. Despite the fact the Bengals are four and one, lead that division. You got Andy Dalton. I just. I can't. Nope. Can't do it. I don't buy the. I don't buy the Bengals. In the NFC, I'm picking the Rams to win the AFC West. I know highly controversial. They're the best team in football. The Rams have. Jared Goff is an elite quarterback. Sean McVay is an elite offensive coach. The Rams are the best team in football. They're going to make the playoffs. The Saints are my, they were my Super Bowl preseason favorite. They're four and one right now. And aside from the week one loss to the Buccaneers and a really close game week two against the Browns, I think the Browns are better than people realize. Other than those two games, this season's gone exactly like we thought. The Saints have a a better defense. They're, They're improving still. Every week they get a little bit better. They tighten things up. Drew Brees is fantastic. The Brown, the sorry, the Saints could still absolutely win the Super Bowl. They're fine. They're four and one in a great position with a good record, a good schedule ahead. All their tough games are indoors. The Saints are fine. They're a playoff team. I think they're going to win their division. The Eagles have talent everywhere. I'm picking them to win the AFC, the NFC East. Um, despite the fact that they've struggled a little bit earlier this year, they're two and three. They're fine. Carson Wentz, their quarterback's coming off of an ACL injury at some point. He's going to click for him. He's going to play better for him. He's rusty. He didn't play in the preseason. Didn't play the first two weeks. Carson Wentz is going to improve. The Eagles are going to win their division and make the playoffs. And the Vikings, despite the tough start, I'm picking the Vikings to win the NFC North. They're fine. They have a new coordinator, which caused some kind of distractions and a rough start at the beginning. But Kirk Cousins is playing fantastic, fantastic football. I think the Vikings defense has had to adjust a little bit to the new NFL rules. Um, but ultimately, I think the Vikings are going to win the NFC North. They're fine. In the wild card, I have the Packers making the wild card first. Look, Aaron Rodgers, a running game that's better than people realize. A defense is in the top 15. They're, they're, the Packers are not awful. I'm tired of the narrative that the Packers are awful at running the football. That one, for example, is, is annoying. Go watch my video. It says, according to statistics, the Packers are probably a playoff team. I still I believe that. I buy that. I think the Packers are fine. They're a playoff team. I think the Panthers are also a wild card team. The Panthers are quietly doing really well. Cam Newton has improved. Norv Turner, the new offensive coordinator, is working. Pay attention to the Panthers. They're a wild card team that no one's really taking notice of. Now, I do want to give an honorable mention. I've never done this. Um, I never said honorable mention before. I want to give an honorable mention in the playoffs to the Chicago Bears. I like what the Bears are doing. They're playing really good football. And they could very easily be a playoff team, whether they win their division, which is still possible. They lead the division right now. Whether they make the wild card, I don't know. But the Bears are, are doing a really good job. I just need more information. I'm not ready to say, yeah, I buy the Bears, I believe in them, because Mitch Trubisky is still a young product. I don't know. But if Mitch Trubisky keeps playing at a high level and keeps improving every week like he has, then yeah, the Bears are a playoff team. So right now, I don't know. I'm not comfortable saying, without a shadow of a doubt, the Bears are a playoff team. But they look really good. They're improving every week, so keep in mind the Bears. Remember, my 12 teams are this. In the AFC, I have the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Jaguars, the Browns, the Ravens, and the Chargers making the playoffs. And in the NFC, I have the Rams, the Saints, the Eagles, the Vikings, the Packers, and the Panthers. That is my deadly dozen. Let's move on.
I finally started paying attention to the MLB playoffs. Finally took notice, finally, finally paid attention. Uh, the Red Sox just beat the Yankees in a 3-1 to in the series in the ALDS. And in the NLDS, in the National League, the Dodgers just beat the Braves in a very quick series 3-1 to as well. I mean no offense to the Brewers and the Astros when I say this next. No offense to Milwaukee, no offense to Houston. I really, really want the Dodgers and the Red Sox to play each other in the World Series. That is the World Series I want. I've wanted that from the beginning. I mean, first of all, think of the Dodgers are historic, a great team. And the Red Sox are one of the best teams ever. They're, they're a legendary team. One of maybe, if not the best baseball city in America, one of the best baseball cities in America. But here's why I really want that matchup. I want to watch Clayton Kershaw face the Red Sox batters in a game that matters. I struggle to pay attention to baseball in, in 132, 160, whatever, however long. I think it's 162 games. I check out. I don't care. Because you lose on Tuesday, well, with another game Wednesday, we're fine. And the playoffs baseball matters. It's intense. It's fun to watch. And I would love, I would love more than anything to have an intense, tough matchup, a great series between the Red Sox and the Dodgers. That is the playoff series I want. That is the wild card, or excuse me, the World Series that I want. If we can get the Red Sox and the Dodgers happening, that would be fantastic. Now, the ALCS and the NLCS is coming up. It'll be a good test. The Dodgers play the Brewers. The Red Sox play the Astros, um, but we are one step closer to getting the World Series I have wanted all along. I hope it happens. I'm rooting for the Dodgers and the Red Sox to happen. That is what I want in the World Series this year. Okay, we have two stories left I want to talk about. Um, they're both about leadership, and they're both about quarterbacks. I, I just want to say, you know, I'm, I'm really impressed I'm really impressed with Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen, the Cardinals, rookie quarterback. Um, quietly, he's having a good year. He, not a great year. I mean, he's throwing a 49% completion percentage. That's not incredibly awesome. He's got two touchdowns, one interception. None of that's that exciting. But no one's really talking about Josh Rosen. I don't think it's fair because I remember when the NFL draft was happening, there were all these questions about Josh Rosen's character. All, all this narrative, everyone was like, you know, we like Josh Rosen. He's the best. He's the most ready. He's the most polished. But is he a leader? He didn't win a lot in college. Do people like him? Maybe he's not liked at UCLA. Um, it seems like that was a bunch of hogwash. None of that was true. I read an article on ESPN. It was it's by Josh Weinfuss. I hope I say your name right. And it was talking about how the Arizona Cardinals had a bunch of quotes. The Arizona Cardinals believe in Josh Rosen. He's a good leader for them. You know, Josh Rosen consoled Phil Dawson, the kicker for the Cardinals. He's a 20-year vet. He's a huge, tremendous, he's like, I think he's the second oldest player in the entire NFL. Um, he missed a game-winning field goal against the Seahawks, potential game-winning field goal, two weeks ago. And Phil Dawson says that Josh Rosen came over and talked to him. It's the first time a quarterback has ever done anything like that. That matters. It's a huge deal. He's leading film study at his apartment on Fridays. All the questions about Josh Rosen pre-draft appear to be ridiculous. I mean, there's a quote from Larry Fitzgerald in this article saying, you know, it's Josh Rosen's team. He's going to be there for the next 10 years. His teammates love him. Quote after quote after quote in this article were Josh Rosen's teammates gushing about how much they love him. And yet because of the narrative that Josh Rosen was not a good leader, he was the fourth quarterback drafted in the NFL draft. Clearly that was all wrong. Silly. We listened to the volleyball coach at UCLA about what is the volleyball coach who didn't interact and didn't coach Josh Rosen? What does he think of Josh Rosen? Who cares? What does it matter? It's clear to me after watching the sidelines, watching the games, watching the way Josh Rosen interacts with his teammates, and then reading the reports about how his teammates love Josh Rosen, all of the reports in the offseason were wrong, were false, were annoying, they were silly. Shouldn't buy him. You can't say that Josh Rosen's a bad leader when everything in the Cardinals organization is screaming the exact opposite about him. I'm glad that narrative is gone. I'm, I'm glad it's not true. I, I didn't know. I, I met Josh Rosen once in high school. Um, he was kind of kind of cocky, kind of a, a, a prick is the word I would say about Josh Rosen. Um, he was good and he knew it. And he, you know, he wasn't afraid to act like it. Um, but I don't, I'm sure, I guarantee I've matured <laughs> a lot. I'm still a dumb kid. 
but I, I've grown up and changed a lot. And there's no way that Josh Rosen hasn't matured, matured and grown up since his 17 years old in high school. I, I really think that Josh Rosen, the narrative that he's not a good leader, that people don't like him, was totally overhyped. And we're getting evidence of that now with that ESPN article. I, I, I'm glad that Josh Rosen is working out. I'm glad he landed in Arizona. I think it's a great fit for him. And apparently they all like him. So that narrative was ridiculous. Josh Rosen's not a good leader. Shut up. Go away. How about someone who's not showing good leadership? I want you to watch Joe Flacco play wide receiver. <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous. There are moments where the Ravens put Lamar Jackson at quarterback. It's kind of a wild card set, although he is actually a quarterback. But what the, when they do that, they move Joe Flacco out to wide receiver. If you watch him line up, you know, he's just... Stands up straight, completely uninterested, does not even care, doesn't give a flying bleep. I mean, he just is not interested at all. And I, I get where Joe Flacco's coming from. You put Joe Flacco wide receiver, of course he doesn't want to play wide receiver. He's a franchise quarterback. You're like, dude, what am I doing here? I, I've done that. It's frustrating. Um, and I, I guess Joe Flacco in a recent interview talked about how his wife has given him crap for his poor effort at wide receiver. Yeah, I agree. And I think the way that Joe Flacco plays wide receiver does, it's meaningful. It matters. It's interesting, but it matters. It does. It's not a good look. Your franchise quarterback looks incredibly selfish when he's out there at wide receiver going, I'm here because I don't care. Don't want to be here. No effort. Lack of effort matters. That's your quarter. That's your guy. The guy you're supposed to go into battle with doesn't try half the time when he's out there at wide receiver. In fact, he never tries at wide receiver. They asked him, I think he said, I hope I don't get thrown to all year. It's not good. You know, I, I play flag football. I'm not a great, I, I think I'm solid. I had 11 touchdowns last night in flag football. It was so much fun. And this is a game where we were moving the ball up and down the field. We're dominating. And it was the first time we've clicked as an offense all year. At times, I've actually felt like Joe Flacco, where maybe if I don't play really well, my team's going to bench me. I've, I've really struggled with that. Uh, but we finally clicked. I made great throws. We were dominating. And despite the fact that I was dominating, I, I felt I, I was secure. I was doing well. And I knew that what was best for the team at times is on second and long, I, I bring over Nate. Nate's a really great athlete. He's the best athlete on our team. I said, hey, Nate, come here. Take the snap, play quarterback. And I don't love giving someone else snaps at quarterback. It doesn't make me excited or have feel good. But it's what's best for the team. And Joe Flacco doesn't seem to understand that. If what's best for the team is Joe Flacco playing wide receiver, he should play wide receiver. He should give his best effort at wide receiver. Do the best you can. Because people are watching. Everybody's watching. Your offensive linemen are going to watch that on film. Everyone sees. They know you don't want to be there. But how much respect and street cred would you earn if they knew you are in a situation you didn't want to be in and you still gave max effort to help your team? The fact that Joe Flacco is so selfish, he's not willing to help his team and give good effort at wide receiver, it matters. And it's a really bad look when you see your wide your, your quarterback, your starting quarterback, on any play, no matter what he's doing, give no effort at all and not even try. It's a bad look. It makes Joe Flacco look really selfish. And so I, um, I don't know. I, that's my take. It just makes Joe Flacco look selfish. It's not what I would do. I would give my best effort all the time, even if it was something I didn't like. Because that's how you're really tested as a person. When you're in a situation, for example, I hate college. I freaking hate college. I don't want to be here. But I got to make the best of it. I, I think it matters. That's how I'm tested. Later in life, 20 years when I, from now, when I look back on college, I'm going to ask myself, did you give your best effort? And, and no, by, by the way, I'm not at all. But, but did, you, did you stay positive? Did you work through it? Did you find a way to get through it? I, I hope when I look back on college someday, I'm going to say, I handled that intensely tough situation that I hated in an honorable way that made me a better person than I learned from and I grew from. Joe Flacco is not handling this in a way that's honorable, and he's not handling it in a way that when I look back on 20 years from now, I'd be proud of. He's not going to be proud. He's going to look back on this with disgust and disdain at his coaches, and he needs to shift his attitude to remember Joe Flacco's job is to do what's best for the team. His job is to win games. And if the Ravens feel like they can win games with Joe Flacco wide receiver on some plays— He'd better give 110% on those plays. Just my opinion. That's what I would do. That is my show. Thank you so much for listening. I really tremendously appreciate you guys. It is 9.51. So somehow we made it through 50 minutes and my RAs did not come knock on my door and complain about me talking super loud late at night. Um, 
I'm grateful for that. Thank, thank goodness. Uh, if you don't know, you can subscribe to Strong Opinions Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast. Why do I do this? In, you know, why, why at the end of the show? I've always wondered this. Does it matter to you guys? Like, does this help at all to say like subscribe, share, like tell your friends about the show? It's the end. It's we're 51 minutes in. We're actually we're 107 minutes in. 100, an hour and seven minutes in, according to the timestamp. That'll be significantly shorter when I cut it later. Um, because you know, there's a big break in the middle, and I didn't I didn't stop the audio at all. But the point is this: Does it matter at the end of the show? Like when I say subscribe, show you've heard it twice already. You know the spiel. You're if you're still listening to me talk at all, like please, if you're still listening to this at this point on YouTube, please give me a comment. I I, I just want to know. Like give me like. I'm, I'm an hour and seven minutes in. I'm still listening. That, that would be a hilarious comment. I would love that. Um, anyways, I, I appreciate you guys tremendously. Um, and I will I'll see you guys on Friday. I'm going to enjoy the game tomorrow. Picking the Eagles to beat the Giants. Can't wait. And, uh, man, I'm excited to share this podcast. I, I love doing it. And um, I better I – better, I should end the show so I can cut it, put it out on YouTube. So I appreciate you guys. Have a great day. I'll see you guys again on Friday. But um bum bam we are done. Bye.